we thank you for the blood, the greatest gift of all. Daniel chapter 12, look in verse 1. And so this will help us get into where we're going this morning. And at that time, Michael shall stand up. Now, it's better to stand up than be sitting down in this hour. And Michael is standing up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Now, if he's going to stand watch over us, then I think it's a pretty good idea that Michael stand to attention. And uh, if you look it up, it means that he's been given charge over us. Remember, you know, Psalm 91, he's given his angels charge over you. And so there's someone watching over you to watch you as you maneuver through this coming year. You're not going to go through it all alone. There's someone with you. He's going with you. He's going to go before you. And he's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. But then it says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Say that time. You know the word time is mentioned four times in, the, in this first verse. Even at that time. And at that time, say that time. Your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. I was thinking again this week, the most, I've had a number of impactful dreams that have helped guide me and steer me. How many of you, you've had dreams that have helped steer your course? And the calling, God's confirmed things. And uh, not every dream is from God, but, but a lot of them are. And, and the one that I had about Billy Graham that I shared with you many times. And I was thinking again this week where when I saw him in this dream, I got to meet him. He had these books in his arms, and one of them, over the years, I've come to believe was filled. It was filled up with all the names of the people that had given their life to Jesus through his ministry. You know, the Decision Magazine and the, you know, the film that they, I forget the name of the film they had, and all the Crusades. But there was another book that was empty, and some of you remember that book, I believe, is going to be filled with the names of all the people that are going to come to Jesus at the end of the age at a part of a last day harvest of souls. And I can't shake that. I'm telling you, that's the kind of dream I don't want to shake because I believe we have a great part in it and uh, we must be about it. And it says here that those whose names are found in the book are going to be delivered. And then verse 2 and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that just reminds us that there is coming a day of judgment. Now, the world doesn't want to hear that. But you know it's part of our assignment 
to let the world know that we're going to stand accountable to the Lord one day. All of us are going to. You know, we're all going to stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. How many of you know that? And I know there are rewards and all these things, but we need to go back and look at all what that means, the judgment seat of Christ. But look in verse 3. And then those who are wise, say wise, they shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So, Lord, we just commit this morning to you, Lord. I ask you for grace to be able to deliver what you put in my heart. Lord, I'm always reminded it's not the words of a man or a woman. It's the words of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you to speak. And I thank you that you are. And I thank you that we are those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in this hour. So we give you all the glory and the honor. And I thank you, Lord. This is going to be a commissioning. That, Lord, even now you're going to give me the words that I'm to pray over every individual. And we're going to launch into this year like there ain't no turning back. And there ain't no turning back. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week I was doing something that you have to do from time to time. Shirley tells me I need to do it more than I do it. But you go through stuff and you throw old things away. And, you know, you try to clean up a little bit. My, my office is in the, you know, we have a basement. and So I have an office and, and sometimes, you know, it gets dusty because my dog stays down there. And I'm just being honest. And, you know, you can get behind in things. And so anyway, I thought I would clean up. Is that a good thing? You guys, you know, you need to clean your act up sometime. And so I'm cleaning my act up. And I ran across this old article by Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, 1993. And uh, I want to read it to you, because this was, what, 29 years ago. And it's almost as if he could be writing this today. And the reason it caught my attention, and it was in my drawer somewhere, but it reminded me also that time when I walked out of the Dallas Convention Center in Dallas, Texas. This was way before this. And uh, one of the speakers said something that it just really stuck with me. And as I'm walking across the street to go to my car, it just like the Holy Spirit kept reminding me of this. Like he said, don't forget what you just heard. And the man said, don't spend your life trying to save the world. But spend your life saving souls. And I remember thinking that. Though I would love to save the world. Now let me just... Um, let me read this. This was what Michael wrote 29 years ago. The Church of America must come to a difficult conclusion. We must face the hard, cold facts. It's too late for our nation. Too late for moral reform. Too late for a social transformation. Too late for a return to the good old days. Unless, thank God for the unless... Masses of sinners get converted. Otherwise, there is no hope. For too long, we have sought to make ungodly people godly. 
without converting them from sin. We've tried to make immoral people moral through words and actions and votes, but it won't work. It can't work. Those who are accustomed to evil cannot do good unless the Lord changes their heart. We must go after the souls of lost men and women, and that is what the call, that is the call of the church. Then why speak up at all? And why protest in front of abortion clinics? That was real popular in that time. And why take a stand for moral issues? And why confront secular school systems? And, and I could, you could fill in the blank. An ungodly government and all of this. It's because that is all part of the gospel. That is part of our role, being the salt and the light and the light of the world, salt of the earth and the light of the world, being a voice of conscience to depraved society, challenging the godless with the standards of God. I mean, if you know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, what, what did God promise to do? He would raise a standard. You and I are part of that standard. If we don't stand up, that standard will not be raised. If we don't arise and shine, and become all we're called to be. It says, but it, it is only the part of the gospel. But we are to be fishers of men. And now is the time to awake. So anyway, I, I agree with Michael Brown 29 years ago. You know, it doesn't take, you don't have to be in too intelligent right now to know our nation is in great peril. Anybody can see that. You don't have to convince anyone. If you would had to convince anyone, I don't know what planet they would be on. But while there are many that believe that, there are very few still, it seems, that believe that things that are impossible with man are still possible with God. And that God can still do things that men hadn't even ever dreamed he could do. Because he does abundantly, exceedingly above all that he could, we could ever ask or think. And who knows if maybe in the midst of seeing multitudes of people come to Jesus, a nation couldn't be saved. I mean, who knows? Say all things are possible. You know, I was just again where I was this week, reminded of what we have on the wall, Psalm 2.8, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And if you study out the context, you know that word is spoken and promised at a very difficult time. It means it's at a time when the nations are in a rage and the people are plotting vain things. How many of you know there are a lot of vain things being plotted in this hour? I've never seen such deception as there is today. It's almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I never turn on CNN. But this week, I wanted to challenge myself because I thought, you know, if I was to turn on CNN, I bet you I know what they're going to be talking about. And I turned them on for, what, three seconds? And they were talking exactly about what I knew they were going to be talking about. Spreading the propaganda, spreading their mission is to spread the untruth. But wouldn't you think that a great backdrop for the truth would be when untruths are being told. Because truth is greater than false. The gospel is greater than, than anything that man can offer. But in Psalm 2, 
It says the nations are enraged, the people are angry, they're plotting vain things, and all these things are going to happen. But it's in that context that we're to ask of me, and he said, I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And so we're going to ask. I cannot, now I know I talk about this from time to time, and I don't, you know, I, I want to be balanced, I think. You know, I don't, what does balanced mean? I'm just telling you. I've told you what's happening every week from my little bitty, well, this is it. It's, it's my uh, iPad. I'm preaching to uh, Uganda and Tanzania and Kenya, and, and I'm, just, I'm just telling you, I am blown away by what God is doing and the people that are coming to Jesus, the Muslims. And then I think about those that are watching, and we will send this later by, on Eternal Life Television, and it goes into Pakistan and go all over them. In fact, it goes to 200-plus nations. And we hear things, and I, and I almost, when I hear them, you, you know, you almost can't believe it. I say, God, how could, you, how could that even be possible? But I'm just telling you, God's doing a whole lot more than what meets the eye. And God may have something in mind for this nation that we, that we almost thought was maybe impossible. Now, you know, I wrote a book, The Times to Come Have Come. How many of you know the times that were to come, they're not coming anymore? They've already come. We're here. This is it. If you're waiting for tomorrow... I don't know tomorrow, I I don't know about tomorrow, but I know about today. And we're here, but if we are here in the times that were to come, remember what Jesus said, because you got to take this in the context, what did Jesus say? He said, I've told you all these things so that when the time comes, you will not be made to stumble. So you will not be offended, you look it up, it means offended. Blessed are those who are not offended because of me, he said. You're not offended. You won't fall away, fall into sin, fall into false doctrine. You can look at all the meanings. But Jesus said, I've told you these things would come so that when the times come, you may remember. And if we're living in the times that Jesus said were to come, and if you, I could just spend the whole time in John 14, 15, and 16, and you wouldn't need any convincing. You would say, man, this is the time. This is happening unprecedented times we're living in it we're now but wouldn't you think God would have people in the right place positioned for the times if it really was the time well guess what he does and you're right on time you're right on time and so am I now I remember at the beginning of COVID You know, what was it, been a couple years ago? And um, I told you all about this, that somebody sent me some information about what was going to unfold. And I listened to it, and I sent it to someone very important. And I don't know if he got it or not. But they told me to try, so... Whatever little contact that I had, they thought I had some contact. I, I only have a contact with him. But I did know a general, so anyway, we, we tried our best. And anyway, I, you know, as I think back about that, 
It's unfolding exactly as they said it would. Exactly. And I remember sharing that here, and people thought I was fear-mongering. No, I wasn't. I was reporting on what has happened so that we would be a little bit more prepared. I wonder if the Holy Spirit would show you things to come so you won't be shocked out of your mind when they actually come. And you could actually have a sound mind when everybody else has lost their mind. Do you think anybody's lost their mind today? They're losing their mind every day. But there's going to be a people that have a sound mind. And they're going to walk in peace. The kingdom of God, if I understand, is peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So that means peace in the midst of war, righteousness in the midst of the most ungodly, wicked display of evil you've ever thought of, and joy only in the power of the Holy Ghost and in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that more and more. But anyway, the reason I told you all that, I remember, I'm just going to be honest, I got a motorcycle, Shirley doesn't like it. But I love it. I like it. And I wanted to go on the Blue Ridge Parkway because I know where a rock, I know where places are. I go away just, and I tell her, I pray, I go, and I, nobody can find me. Although the other day where I was, I was praying out loud, and a lady walked up with her children. And wouldn't you know it? And I could just, well, she probably knew exactly what I was doing. Maybe that's why she was there with her children. But anyway, I, I remember I wanted to go to this rock. And I wanted, God, I said, God, if we're going to go into this crazy time that I just read about and trying to tell people about, though they don't want to listen, if we're going to go into this, Lord, I need an anointing. I need fresh fire. I need an anointing for the season. And I believe he heard my prayer. And the last two years have been... In, you know, we preach online, and it's been amazing, and God's opened up doors. Well, we need an anointing for this hour. And if unless, unless you leave early, and unless you turn me off, I'm going to pray God will anoint you for this hour. Because it is God's purpose that you rise up and shine in the midst of great darkness and display the wonder of our God when everybody else is wondering where he is. Because I'm telling you, he's here. And he's in the midst of his people. Now, let's go to the New Testament. James. Just turn anywhere in the New Testament. It all works. Just say, let's just do that. I used to, you know, in my younger days, I didn't know where to read. So I would just let my fingers do the walking. You just open up. But you could open up and you could be reading about where Judas went out and hung himself. So you don't want to just, you know, flippantly. You need to know the context of Scripture. You know, you know what I mean? You don't want to do everything. You do everything he said, but anyway, James chapter 5. Okay, now I'm not going to really get into great detail in James 5 because we've been there. And all I can say is, is this chapter is coming alive. It's happening before our eyes. It is one of those chapters in the New Testament that you don't have to wonder when it's going to happen. It's happening. And I, it also talks about how to prepare. But I'm not going to go back there. 
Say, good, I'm, not, I'm glad you're not going back there. Say, good, you don't, you don't want to go back there. We've done that enough. But I want to go to verse 7. Verse 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient. Brethren, do we have any brethren here? And sisterin. Man, we're all of it. We're on board. Man, we're in this thing. We're stepping out. We're stepping in. We're stepping through. We're going for it. But in the midst of it, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, just before the end of the year, I shared with you that there were three major events. And I I don't know, maybe you weren't even here, but I want to repeat those events because I've added two to it. Now there are five, five major historic events that shaped humanity, shaped, you know, the course of the earth. Some have happened and some are yet to come. So that's where we're going, five things. And uh, we're going to pray for people, those of you that are watching online, we're not only going to pray, you have an anointing, many of you are going to come to faith in Jesus this day. This is the day of salvation. And we're going to pray, they give you that opportunity. But here are these five things, but before I mention them, on December the 8th, 1941, who was our president? Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right? I wasn't around. How many of you were not around? Most of us, I won't tell you. You don't have to confess if you were. But anyway, he said yesterday, on December 7th, 1941, it was a date that will live, remember, in infamy. And what he's referring to is what happened, the horror of the bombing of what happened at Pearl Harbor and how we were drugged into World War II. And I know that there are many things that have happened historically, many things have happened in our lives. If, if I ask you just to write down some of the most important events of your life, I know, I know you could do that. And you could, you could write them down. That This was some of the most incredible things that God did in my life. Well, what are the five most definitive moments in history? Well, the first one, and we just celebrated it, so we need to go back and just reconfirm, and that is Jesus coming to the world. That was was a defining moment, wouldn't you you say? For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Look over, over in 1 John, or actually John, we'll go to 1 John later, but go into the book of John. And... um, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you have a version of the Bible, and it says, and the Word was a God, let me give you some advice as to what to do with that Bible. If you have a garbage can in your house, throw it in there, because he's not a God, he's the God. He's God. I'm amazed at how all these versions got dispersed about. And I'm not anti, I'm, I'm, I'm not even, I'm just on what he said. But I know he's not a God. And that is a direct assault against the person of Jesus. And we understand that. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And he is the life and the life, the life and the life 
was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. How many of you know what the word comprehend means? It could not overcome it, couldn't seize it. Jesus conquered darkness. He conquered it. And he, he gave you the same power to conquer darkness yourself. That, dark, that light lives within us. And then in verse 14 really is one of the most definitive verses. I mean, this is historic. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you remember that it is the fact, the greatest moment when, when Jesus, God left heaven in the form of his son. And he came so the world might be saved. It was the greatest moment in history. Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. And you know, we won't look there, but over in John chapter 3. He didn't come to condemn the world, did he? But he came to a world that's condemned. There are many people that forget that. And you know, they emphasize he didn't come to judge. No, he came to save a world that is judged under judgment. That's what the cross is all about. He took the full wrath of God upon himself at the cross. And he had to do that. But he conquered darkness. But he also came to save the condemned. Say, save the condemned. Remember what it says over in John. It says, he who does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he did not believe in the only begotten And we know that we've all sinned. Let me just review a few things before we go to the next one. Here's some scriptures as to why Jesus came. Number one, he came to save sinners. Boy, I'm glad for that. How many of you? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Have you noticed the closer you get to him, the more you're sinned, even things you thought maybe weren't as bad as you thought they were, they get magnified. You know what I mean? And because God is coming for a bride with that spot and blemish, and where he's making, we're making ourselves ready before him. He's making us ready. But then also, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Say destroy. Here's what it means. It means to loosen, unbind, unfasten, untie, Set free, set at liberty, deliver, break up, demolish, and destroy the works of the devil. I mean, he came to do it all, and he did it all. And he's called us now to walk in his footsteps. Now, what is the greatest work that Jesus came to destroy? It's the work of sin. Sin. We got to preach sin again. You know, we've almost become accustomed we got to let people know there is sin and there's that which is not sin. I was with someone recently. I don't know where it was, but his name was Black. And my name being White, he might have been somebody visiting here, but we were looking at each other and we're thinking, you know, that's really, this is a prophetic meeting because it's either black or white. The gray area is being removed. You can't walk on the fence Listen, there is that which is holy and that which is unholy. That which is righteous and that which is unrighteous. And it's the church's responsibility to define it. And then he came to call sinners to repentance. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come for the well or the righteous. 
you know, those who have no need of a physician, but I came for those who have a need of a physician. And I came to cause sinners to repentance. And then he came to do the Father's will. There is nothing that excites us more. There's nothing that motivates you more than when you are fulfilling what you've been made to fulfill. And that is what God has written in your heart. Thus saith the Lord over your life. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. And then he came to seek and save that which was lost. I, uh, I've never been lost in the woods. You know, I, I'm, where I grew up, I mean, I had plenty of opportunities to get lost. We went to places I don't even know if any man has ever been to before. You know what I'm talking about. There are places in Louisiana we went to, I don't know today, anybody else has been back there. But I don't know, I don't know if I've ever really been lost. I usually got home by supper time. When my mom said supper's ready, I was home. One time I ran away from home. Supper time, I was back at the table. I'll never forget that. I, my mom said, supper time, I'm home. But I've never been lost. I, but I, can you imagine the terror? I've heard stories of people being lost in the western part of North Carolina, you know, in the mountains. And you, they got off the trail. And it's, so it's happened. Some of, they never found them. Could you imagine the terror of being lost, of being lost at sea? You don't know the direction. What was that movie where they just, he had to trust the power of God, and what I believe, and try to find the way back to the shore. And they lined up on the shoreline with all the car lights on, remember? You know, and they knew they, they were on, going in the right direction. But it should be a terror to know that you're separated from God. And yet he came to find the lost. He came to find the lost, to seek and save. And then he came to give his life a ransom. And we know what that means. I mean, Jesus paid the ransom that was, you, you and I could have never paid it, right? We could have never paid it. And on and on, and we know there are many reasons. He came to give us eternal life. So the number one definitive moment as to why in history was when Jesus came. God sent his son into the world. The secondly, when he came up from the grave. He not only came to the world, but he came up from the grave. Acts 26, the apostle Paul, he was giving a defense before King Agrippa. And he was, you know, as to why he was preaching the gospel. And he reminded King Agrippa, he said that he's been called to the people that they should repent and that they should turn to God and do works befitting repentance. And because of this, remember, they wanted to seize Paul. They wanted to kill him. But over in Acts 26, 22, it says, Therefore, having obtained help from God. And as I read that this week, I thought, God, you know, there are a lot of people, not, they're not going to want to know that not only must they turn from sin, but they have to walk in repentance. But you're going to receive help from God in this hour if you step out and obey him. If you do what he called you to do, I don't care how dangerous it is. The Lord will be your helper. He will be at your right hand. He will defend his people. But Paul went ahead and he said that he was speaking only of what had been spoken by the prophets, by Moses, that the Christ would suffer and that he would rise from the dead. You know, it's the resurrection. The resurrection. You know, there's a whole lot going for us. There's much more for us than it is against us because of the resurrection. How many of you know that? 
And it's the power of the resurrection you and I have been called to live in. And that's the hour. And we've got to believe it and stand on it. You know what separates Christianity from all the other religions of the world is that which Jesus has risen from the dead. I could take you to places in America where famous people were buried. And you could take me to places where people have been buried, maybe great religious leaders. But if I, if I took you to Israel where Jesus was buried, you wouldn't find him there. He's not there. In fact, you would hear echoing through the corridors or wherever that why are you looking for the, the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And that which separates Christianity from all the other religions is that our God is alive. He's alive. I'm telling you, he's going to prove himself. He's, it's not just a book. This is not just history. It's not just some fairy tale. The God that is alive lives inside of you. And he's going to prove it to you in this hour. He's, he's living. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good person. You know, my friends in the Middle East, they believe Jesus was a good teacher. He's probably the best teacher there ever was. Could you imagine sitting in one of his classes? In fact, wasn't the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, you know, they happened to show up, Jesus preaching Jesus. And all of a sudden, their heart was warm within them, remember. And, uh, you know, their heart was on fire. And so it is. He's the best teacher. But he also was risen from the dead, and he's the Son of God. And then another thing about the, um, the greatest impactful moments is when he came in the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Shirley. She always saves me. Jerry was right. It's hot as fire in this room. What is it, January the 1st or 2nd? Yesterday was a pretty good day, though. Sitting out on my porch with my fan, you know, on January the 1st. What's that? Snow tomorrow. Wow. Let, let her snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. I, I want it to snow. I want it to snow cats and dogs. <laughs> I don't know. I just snow. Anyway, okay, Neil, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk. Jesus said, it's to your advantage. We've looked at this many times. He said, it is to your advantage if I go away. Because if I go, I'm going to send the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. He will be with you, in you, upon you, all these, and we've looked at all of that. But the fact is, he came. And the Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will do three things. How many of you remember what they were? Well, he's many things, many things. But three things in the text that I'm referring to, where's this, John 16. He will, number one, he will convict the world of sin. I reminded God of that again this week. I said, God, I want you to know. Now, you know, I mean, I'm informing him. But where I was... I felt like I could inform him, and he'd listen, and I'm just telling, Lord, I'm going to conf- I can't do anything to convict the world of sin. I can't convince them that what you said is sin, it really is sin. I can't do that. But you can. 
And it's time to do it again. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. I'm banking on that for this year. I'm trusting you to do it again, God. All of our efforts have fallen to the ground. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's come to convict the world of sin and then secondly of righteousness. That, you know, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. There's nothing I can do to convince the world that Jesus is who he says he is. But God has already sent the one who has been commissioned to do it, and he's the person of the Holy Spirit. And then he's come to convince of judgment, that the ruler of this world is judged. Say, he is judged. I asked Marla to do that song, and this because I think about it from time to time. And This week I was thinking about it. It's, there is a redeemer. Some of you never heard that song. I know it's new to you. But I remember when Keith Green first came out with it. How many of you remember that? And how that you will leave your spirit till the work on earth is done. And I'm so grateful for all the outpourings of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if sometimes we haven't offended the Holy Spirit. Always looking for some fresh outpouring. When he said, I've already sent him. Jesus said, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And I believe he's going to do it again. God so loves this world. He's going to send great conviction. Great conviction all over the earth. And we're going to see that, that second book that I saw in that dream begin to be filled up. I believe it's already happening. And we're hearing reports of it of all over the world. Many are engaged in that. And then the third or the fourth thing. He came when he sent his son, became a baby, then... He came up from the grave, and then he came in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth great event is yet to come, and that is when he comes again. And I'm telling you, he's coming again. You know the guy that was just here, Joel Richardson. We got to get him back. It was, he was supposed to be here. All those guys, it was an amazing weekend. But I really connected to Joel, got to spend time with him and he left his book. He didn't even charge us. He left a bunch of copies of the book. And I got one of them. But anyway, in the book, from Sinai, from Zion to Sinai, or Sinai to Zion, one or the other. Forgive me, Joel. It's one of those. a very simple title. But he said this. Oh, from Sinai to Zion. He said how the church in the early days, they prayed more, they shouted more than hallelujah. Hallelujah means what? Praise the Lord. They also cried out, Maranatha. Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. I was reading this week, according to the Pew Research. I don't know if you can trust any research today. But I heard somewhere along the line that maybe Pew is one of the, one of the better ones. I don't know. I, you know how much I believe as, of what they tell me is true out there? About this much. I'm convinced. Let God be true and every man a liar. Because I'm finding the more and more I listen to men, the more and more I found them out to be liars. But I found that God is true and especially his word. His word is what is true. And that's where I'm going to place my trust in this hour. But according to the Pew Research, in 2020, November 2020, 58% of evangelicals believe that Jesus will return in their lifetime. I would think it'd be more than that. 
And, but then it said 41% of all Americans one year ago believe that the second coming is real and he will come in their lifetime. And I believe that number's probably gone up with all the things that are going on. But I want you to know Jesus Christ is coming again. And that is one of the great hopes of the church, especially in this hour which we've called, been called to. Second Peter chapter 3, remember the scoffers. They're going to be scoffers in this hour. They, they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? You guys in the church, you've been saying he's going to come since the beginning of creation. But everything is just like it's always been. But I'm telling you, he's still going to come. The only reason he's delayed his coming is so that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's delayed because of you. He wants you to be saved. He wants a great harvest of souls. He's not slack concerning his coming. And then there are other scriptures about his coming. But I want to commentators say that when you look at the coming of the Lord... You can break it up into these six things. Number one, it's his first coming, and we already talked about that. The advent, or the fullness of time. Secondly, it's when the gospel is introduced into a region of the world for the first time. And I, I believe that's going to happen. The gospel is going to be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. How many of you believe that could be happening in this hour? It is happening. It's happening over the internet. We're throwing these nets out. And God is sending the gospel all over the earth. This is not just by happenstance. This is God's time. And the gospel is being preached. And then there's a, a visible establishment of his kingdom. You know, the church has been praying for 2,000 years. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. How many of you believe God's going to hear and answer that prayer? And everywhere under the sound of my voice, wherever you live, wherever you live, the kingdom, there's going to be a visible expression that the kingdom of God is nigh. And he's just looking for someone that will declare it and agree with him. And then there's a, a conferring of the gifts and the blessing and the spirit and all of that. Whenever there's an outpouring, you know, that's a coming as we mentioned that. And then whenever there's a, a display or an execution of the judgments on the wicked, that's the coming of the Lord. We're going to talk about that in coming days and then there's the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look back with me on uh, James again. Just notice what he said in that verse. Therefore. Now you know when you see the word therefore, what, do you, what does it mean? It means you have to look to see what it's there for. And I remind you of that all the time. But don't read James 1 through 6 right now. Read it later. You should have already read it. We've been looking. We've been living this. It's happening all around us. So that's why in verse 7, he said, when all these things begin to happen, therefore be patient, brethren. How long? How many of you like being patient? I don't even, somebody told me one time, don't pray for patience. I wish I had listened. Because when you pray, God will put you to the test. But he's saying, be patient, brethren. Until how long? Till the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. We have a farmer living not too far from here. We've got to meet him and his family. They've been attending here. He's a farmer. And he grows blueberries. You can't just plant the blueberries and demand them to come up when you want them to come. It ain't gonna happen. How I many of you know that's just not the way it happens? You gotta wait. You gotta wait for the rain. 
got to wait for the sun. You got to believe in God's timing. Verse 11 or verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is what? It is at hand. It is at hand. Look with me over in Acts chapter 1. We're going to wrap this up here in just a bit. Is everybody still with me? We need to just look at these scriptures again and be reminded of what the Lord has promised. Because he's coming. Say he's coming. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 verse, uh, of that chapter. Verse 1. The, the former account, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus did all that he did through the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit that lives in you and me. Jesus did all that he did through the Holy Spirit until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, has given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And that's the two things that you and I are to do as well. We're to present him alive to the world and we're to speak of the things that pertain to the kingdom. But then look over in verse 7 because there he gives a promise in verse 5 and verse 6. But in verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then if you look down in verse 9, he'd spoken these things, verse 10. And while they looked steadfast toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, men of Galilee, why are you standing up? Are gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come. Say will so come. He will so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And so the, the coming of the again, the coming of Jesus Christ is our great hope in this hour. Now I know some of you are thinking. I've been hearing that my whole life. I mean, that's one of those messages they, when I was just a little boy or a little girl, why are you trumpeting that again today? For a number of reasons. Number one, it's a lot nearer than it was when you first heard that. And secondly, you're going to need that message in this hour. If you know that Jesus is coming, you can go through anything that he's called you to walk through. Because you know when you get through it, the best is still yet to come. Did you hear me? And then the last thing, he's coming, he came up from the grave, he came in the person of the Holy Spirit, he's coming the second time for salvation, but he also, all of this only leads up to when he comes into a person's heart, and he lives, and he becomes the Lord of their lives. That's where it all winds up in Jesus said come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest and I'm telling you right now all over the earth there's an invitation being extended to peoples that have never heard and some that have heard but they never really heard but they're going to hear in this moment 
as if they've never heard or as if they're hearing for the first time. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. He's the answer. He's the one we're looking for. He said, let him who thirsts, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. And this is the hour that I'm telling you many people are going to come to him and it's going to happen in ways that we have never yet ever imagined. Now I know a lot of that was pretty simple. But it's profound what Jesus has done. It's profound what God has done. He came to the world as a baby. That's profound. He also came up from the grave when they tried to do him in. That's profound. He came in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is more profound than what you, what you, what you can possibly imagine. And then he's coming again. And if you don't think you have to hang on to that, I'm telling you, hang on to that. He is coming again. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. He's coming. He's going to hold everyone accountable. Those who didn't want to hear his word, they're going to be reminded of his word in that day. But he's also, he wants to come before that day into the hearts of people all over the face of the earth. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I want to pray, because many people are going to be I'm telling you, they already are watching. You guys watching by all Eternal Life TV, Jacob's, Isaac Television, and uh, these other means. You know, there's a God that loves you, and I want to pray for you right now. You guys good, and then I'm going to pray over everyone. We're going to have communion. I want to pray an anointing, pray a release. This is, a, this is a new commissioning time, okay? You guys with me? You need a new commission. Say, I need a new commission. Okay, I thank God for yesterday. I'm so grateful. All the anointings. You ain't seen nothing yet. You had not seen nothing yet. The church in this hour. But I want to pray right now. And uh, would you come up, uh, Marla? You want to play something. Maybe you could play that song, There is a Redeemer and he left his spirit till the work on earth is done. But I, I want to pray, if you've never met Jesus, and if you don't know that if this day you died, that you would spend eternity in heaven. And someone, there's going to be people here more and more, maybe someone here this morning, but if you're watching, and you say, how do I get to know this Savior, this Jesus that you're speaking about? Well, first of all, you've got to admit your need. You've got to say, I need God. As long as you think you can save yourself or you have what it takes, you'll never make it. There's a God that gave his best. And you come, you don't even have your best to offer. You just offer your sin and your shame and your, your defeat and your sorrow and your, all the things you messed up. You just give it to him. You come just as you are. He gave his best and became a ransom. He saved us from our worst the worst of humanity. Sin is the worst. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not even one. And you know, you got to admit your need. Then you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived, that He died, and He rose from the dead. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, 
but you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Then you must confess your sin. You must acknowledge, I am a sinner. I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's expectation for my life. And I can't reach the goal, the standard, but I want to put my trust in Jesus. And I acknowledge my sin and I repent. And that word repent means you turn from sin and you turn towards Jesus. You turn towards Him. You're willing to give up the past and embrace Him. He will give you help to repent. He'll give you the strength and the grace and the courage. And that's the way I found it in my own life. That He's been there to help me. He's the helper. And then you receive Him by faith. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means a whole lot more to me now than it ever did. I know it means salvation. But it also, I believe God is issuing that invitation to entire nations in this hour. Nations have lost their way. And they don't know the way. And if they'll call on Him, He the way, whoever calls on His name will be saved. And entire nations are going to be saved in this hour. I mean, if you believe that. They're going to be sheep nations. And I'm part of a sheep nation as to whether the whole nation does it or not. And you are too. There's a nation in this nation that's calling on the name of the Lord. And God is awful patient right now. And He is with, He's restraining. He's withholding. But there's going to come an end to it. And there will be a day of reckoning. The wages of sin is death. That's what Jesus said, and he, he meant it, and it's still the truth. And it's as true today as it's ever been. But the gift of, of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a gift, and you have to receive that gift. If there was any other way, believe me, there's people in here, there are people on, in this nation that would have already found the way. In fact, there are many ways being offered now. There's no other way than the blood of Jesus Christ. And putting your trust in the cross where he took on all of our sin and he comes and makes you a new creation old things passed away all things have become brand new say brand new brand new in Christ Jesus so I want to lead you in a prayer then we're going to pray over everyone there's a new commission a new anointing just, just pray this after me say dear God I need you I believe in Jesus that he is the son of God that he lived, that he died, that he rose from the dead. And he's coming again. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Thank you that you died. You shed your blood. That I could be forgiven. Cleansed. Washed. Brand new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose to receive you. Come into my heart, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. I'm yours. Here am I. Use me. Send me. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit. And he's with me. And he's in me. And I pray, Lord, let him come upon me and empower me. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name.
If you prayed that, you connect with us. The Gathering Church office at gmail.com and we'll send you some information. If you prayed that in here, you need to share that with us. Come to the altar in just a bit and say, man, I, I chose to receive Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Thank you, Lord, for that.